Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Our text is verse 17 through 19. And I will give you a warning. We're going to read our text tonight and depart from it for a while. Uh, I want to lay some groundwork tonight for a message uh, pick it up again next week. But our topic is managing materialism. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. The Bible says, charge them that are rich in this world. Now don't leave, okay? Don't say, I'm not rich, so this is not for me. It is for you, all right? Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now, again, we're focusing on materialism, and even though I'll come back to more detail in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, but a couple of things I want to point out very quickly to help us better understand what I'm going to share tonight about materialism. Notice again in verse 17, when the Bible talks about God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. I'm very glad that God gives the world to live in. It's not perfect, it can be heartbreaking, but it gives it for us to enjoy. So what is materialism? Well, without a doubt, we live in a material world. Your hair, your breakfast, the air we breathe, the automobile we drive, the clothes we wear, the houses we live in, all of those things and many more are material things. And as Christians, we are expected to learn how to relate to them in a biblical way. Over the years, there have been two very distinct philosophies of materialism that have been emerged. The first philosopher would say to us, materialism is evil. And from that idea, there were two total opposite philosophies come out of the idea that materialism is evil. The one philosophy is asceticism. And this is the thinking or the philosophy that brought about the idea of the monastery. If creation is evil, and they say it is, then the smart thing to do is to bail out of the world as much as possible, become a monk, and deny yourself. I read that in Israel there is a There's 26 miles of hard walking up a dry river gorge. 
at the end of that gorge is a monastery. No women, no automobiles, no television. Your day begins at 4 a.m. to sing God's praises. You have dry bread. Sorry, Rick, no peanut butter. No bologna. Dry bread and water to eat and drink. You have a plank bed to sleep on. Ah, the ascetic life. Deny yourself because all things material are evil. But another philosophy that comes out of that idea that materialism is evil is Epicurean. Epicureanism. And Epicureanism believes also that the material world is evil. But they draw the exact opposite conclusion to that from the ascetics. Epicurean reason that if the world is evil, then nothing matters. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter how you live. If the body is evil, then the best we can do is live it up. Go ahead, indulge yourself, wine, women, and song. Now, by the way, both of those, asceticism and epicureanism, both are blasphemy. Now, I pointed out earlier in our text tonight, and again, we were departing from most of the night, but the Bible says that God has given us everything to enjoy. To enjoy. So, both of those philosophies are blasphemy. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, you recognize the verse. This is after God created things. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was what? It was very good. Didn't say it was evil, bad. Said it was very good. If you've been here on Wednesday night, we're looking at the Godhead and we talked about the idea there was a time in history that God Himself even took on human flesh. If you will, He took shape among us in the flesh of Jesus Christ. And by the way, while Christ was here, did he eat? Sure. He drank. He had clothing. And yet, in spite of that, he lived a sinless life. So, again, there are some who, without a doubt, believe the material world is evil. Everything about it. But the second philosophy says, the material world is everything. And because it's everything, the material world is all there is, and it is the greatest good. And there are two views, primary views, that come out of that thought. Number one is communism. And a communism comes out of that school of thought. Because to the Marxist, the material world is all that matters. Nothing else matters. If you want religion, they, they tell you, what. Well, look, try science. Try empiricism, the logical study of how things relate. But another group that comes out of that philosophy is capitalism. 
and come from this same source. And for the capitalists, the good news is in profit. It's in acquiring more and more goods, more and more services. And the capitalist says, a successful person has plenty of things. You've seen the slogan. You've seen the bumper stickers. Those who die with the most toys win. That's the extreme of capitalism. It's interesting. Jesus addresses this second philosophy that the material world is everything. In Luke 12, verse 15, look what he says. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. So Jesus says, having things, the material world is not everything. There's more to life than that. So as I study the scriptures, the Bible is very clear, both extremes are wrong. To say that all things are evil is wrong. All things are not evil. To say that things are the greatest good is also wrong. How many know you got to have a middle-of-the-road approach? The truth lies in the center of those two philosophies. In the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 6, Matthew gives us, I think, several key words to help us learn and to teach us how to relate properly to this material world. In verse 19 of Matthew 6, Jesus said, Lay not, I'm sorry, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth. Don't store it up. In verse 22, Jesus said, The light of the body is the eye. So right there, Jesus talks about laying up treasure, storing up treasure. And he talks about seeing the light of the body. And in verse 24, Matthew 6, Jesus said, No man can serve two masters. So we have serving. And then in verse 33 of Matthew 6, Jesus says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God. So there in those few verses we see storing, laying up, seeing, serving, and seeking. So the question I have to ask myself is this. How much of my priority time, how much of my time, how much of my priority, how much effort do I spend storing up? How much effort do I spend seeing and serving or seeking material things? What I eat, what I put on, what I drink, what I live in. Not part of, not part of our study tonight, but 
How many know Jesus said he knows our needs? And the very one who clothes the flowers of the field will also clothe us. But I catch myself sometimes. I say I believe that, but sometimes I don't, I don't live like that. So by definition, materialism is an imbalanced lifestyle with too much emphasis on the worldly things at the expense of our spiritual life. So you can define materialism as the preoccupation with material things rather than preoccupied with intellectual or spiritual things. So the Bible teaches us, as a Christian, if we are preoccupied with material things, the Bible says it's wrong. That is a sin. We're not saying you cannot have material things. But whenever we become obsessed with acquiring, we become obsessed with caring for stuff. That's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And there are at least two reasons. Number one, any preoccupation, any obsession our fascination with anything other than God is sinful. And it certainly does not please God. It does not. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. God says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Is that pretty clear? Now, by the way, according to what Jesus said in the New Testament, Jesus said that's the first and the greatest commandment. Matthew 22, verse 37, 38. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now think about it for a minute, folks. If we do what Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 says, and what Jesus reaffirmed in the New Testament, if we put that in the right place, wouldn't you agree everything else falls into place? Sure. We'll have the right view on material things. We'll not be obsessed with those things. It's because of that commandment, In Deuteronomy, because of what Jesus said in Matthew about that, God is the only thing or person that we can and should occupy ourselves with habitually. Let him be first in our lives. Because the bottom line is this. Only God and the Godhead are worthy of, of our complete attention, worthy of our love and our service, and to offer that to anything else is idolatry. God must be first. So, number one, 
if we're obsessed with material things, fascinated with it, it's sinful and doesn't please God. Number two, whenever we concern ourselves, and folks, this is a trap we all need to be careful of. Whenever we concern ourselves with the material world, before you know it, you'll be drawn in by the deceitfulness of riches. In Mark chapter 4, he is another one of two gospel writers who gives the parable of the sower. And in verse 19, he talked about some seed that fell in among the thorns. And now Jesus describes what that is. In verse 19 of Mark 4, Jesus said, The cares of this world, notice this, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. How many know riches can be deceitful? Have you ever been a time in your life you thought, boy, if I only had this much. If I only had this, then I'd, I'd be satisfied. And to get to that point in your life, by God's blessing, and all of a sudden, you know what? That didn't satisfy you. Riches can be deceitful. See, the danger is, the reason that riches are deceitful, because we begin to think that we will be happy, or we will be fulfilled or at least content if we could only had more of whatever it is we're chasing. And I'm convinced that a lot of people have no idea what they're chasing to begin with. But well, if we could just get it. If we could just get it. And I want you to realize that that's a lie from Satan. He wants us to be chasing after something that he knows. And make no mistake about it, he knows it will never satisfy us and will be kept from pursuing what really matters in life. And that's pursuing God. Because my friend, only God can truly satisfy. Matthew 6, verse 24. Jesus said, no man, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. You have to make a choice. So what does that leave us? We have to be content. We have to seek to be content with what we have. And materialism is the exact opposite of that contentment. Be content with what we have. And the wrong view of materialism, it will cause us to strive for more and more and more. And the cycle goes on. And all the while, the material tells us that the, this is going to be the answer to all of our needs and to all of our dreams. I want to tell you, folks, that smells like smoke. It comes from the pit of hell. Because the Bible is clear. The Bible says plainly that my life does not consist of what I possess. In fact, let's read again Luke 12, verse 15. 
Jesus said unto them, Take heed, beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the thing which he possesseth. Life is more than what we have materially. But the Bible also told us in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And I must confess, I've read that verse many times. I've got it memorized. I believe that verse, but there are a lot of times in my life I don't live that way. That's a promise from God. Seek his kingdom first, and all of these things will be added to you. I think you would agree if materialism could satisfy anyone, it would have been Solomon. Isn't that true? He was the richest king the world ever knew. He had absolutely everything and more. Everything he wanted, he tried. Everything he saw and wanted, he tried that as well. And yet Solomon said that all of that, he found every bit of it worthless. He found it empty because everything that he accomplished, it did not produce happiness and it did not satisfy the longing of his soul. In fact... In Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, he said it very clearly. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. Why, this also is vanity. How does Solomon know that? He tried it, and it didn't satisfy the longing of the soul. Seven chapters later, at the end of his book, in chapter 12, verse 13, here's what Solomon concluded. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Good words. I want to say tonight, I don't know how many sermons are directed at rich people, but this one is. This one is. We read a couple verses from Paul's letter to rich Christians at Ephesus. And we know it's to rich people because the first thing he says in verse 17 is, charge those who are rich in this world. And certainly when you read that, there's a couple of obvious implications. And the first one we see right away, some people are going to be richer than other people. That's a fact of life. 
And so this is one of the facts that we all accept as a part of reality. But it's interesting, in the Bible, and some are surprised to find this out, it all says, also says that there are people in the Bible, some people have a lot of money. A lot of money. And so it is a fact of life. And God has a lot to say to those people. Sir, you're saying, preacher, if this is a, uh, a message for the rich, I'm out of here. So who are the rich? And probably you or I would certainly think, well, it's not us. It's not me. If someone came up to you and, and asked, are you rich? What would you say? Now, now, by the way, right now, I'm not talking about spiritually, okay? I'm talking about rich and material things of this world. That's what we're talking about. Now, it's important to be rich spiritually. We know that. But are you rich materially? And if someone were to ask us that, we might, well, well you know, uh, 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 probably not. No, I, I, I'm not rich. But if you said that, you'd be wrong. You would be wrong. And I want to say tonight, all of us are rich. And again, I'm not speaking just about spiritual blessings. Or even our riches in Christ, even though that's true. I'm speaking about moolah. Greenbacks. Cold, hard cash. Okay? Is that clear enough? We're talking about material wealth. When it comes to that, every one of us here tonight are rich. Who are you kidding, preacher? <laughs> Have you seen my bank account? <laughs> well, if, you com- if we compare ourselves with the people of Haiti, guess what? We're rich. In fact, we're not rich. We're wealthy. Incredibly wealthy. If we compare ourselves with the people of Nigeria, Sudan, Bangladesh, Thailand, we're loaded. But please understand, that statement is true for almost all Americans. I googled this yesterday and here's what I found out. The typical person in the United States, in the bottom 5% of income, I mean, they're almost on the bottom with their legs hanging over, right? That person in that category, the bottom 5% of income, is still richer than 68% of the world's population. If you own your home, you're rich. If you own your car, you're rich. Anybody got change in your pockets tonight? If you do, you're rich. If you have enough food to eat, you're rich. If you have an extra set of clothes in your closets, you're rich. 
If you have enough money to go out to eat occasionally, you're rich. Would you agree that includes all of us? Every one of us. And I realize there are some who have very little. But even those in our nation still have far more in creature comforts than most people around our world. So I guess I could say this is a rich pastor preaching to rich people. Charge those who are rich. And by the way, it's not a sermon where the message is it's a sin to be rich because the Bible doesn't say that. Never. We're not saying you need to get rid of all your money and become poor. One theologian said that's another message for another pastor at another time. <laughs> Amen. That is not what the text says. So what's the issue when we're talking about materialism? The issue is not how much money you have. It's what you do with what God has given to you. What we do with what God has given us. I think there were at least, well, probably at least three well-publicized money myths. Number one, having more money makes you happy. How many of us are lie of the devil? Number two, having more things means more importance. That's a lie of the devil. Number three, the third myth is having more things means more security. That's also a lie of Satan. Happiness, importance, security, and certainly money can buy a lot of things, but it cannot buy you happiness. Money cannot make you more important, and it certainly cannot guarantee you earthly security. And by the way, that last point, the earth of security, that is very, very critical when we realize the dangerous world we live in. My grandfather, some years ago, he used to love watching reruns of Hogan's Heroes. You ever see that? And uh, what was always the threat for Sergeant Schultz or Colonel Klinger? If you don't straighten up, we're going to send to the front of the battle. It used to be a western front, eastern front, whatever. <laughs> you see, the thing is, in our world, there's no front. It's everywhere. There is no 
lasting security anywhere in the world we live in. In an age of terrorism, there is no front. We all live on the front now. It's a dangerous world. And even those who are serving the Lord cannot guarantee but tomorrow might bring their way. There is no absolute protection from suffering in our world. So money cannot buy happiness. It cannot guarantee a long life. And it cannot guarantee good health. Only a fool would think otherwise. Money cannot do it. But let me make sure that we understand tonight that wealth is not necessarily, doesn't have to be an impediment in our walk with God. Doesn't have to be. Now, the warning is there. Watch out. But it doesn't have to impede our walk with God. <clears throat> in fact, history is filled with examples of wealthy Christians who have used their wealth wisely and they have brought great benefit to the world. Now, I realize we shared this morning Christianity is under attack in our culture. But how many know who started the most hospitals in the world? Christianity. How many know when disaster strikes anywhere in the world, who goes there first? Christians do. Who stayed the longest? Christians do. You call almost any you know, cancer society, heart society, and their statistics tell you that people who give the most are Christians. I'm glad it's part of the family of God. Amen. So, it doesn't have to be an impediment to our walk with God. And certainly, rarely is there a church or a ministry anywhere that hasn't benefited from large gifts from very wealthy believers. But I will say this. Even though money may not be an impediment, it is definitely a test. It is a test. The way we spend our money tells the truth about our values. Show me how you spend your money. Show me your checkbook statement. And I'll show you what you really believe. I'll show you where your heart is. And folks, you can come to church all you want. You can sing loud and proud. You can run the aisles. You can shout. You can dance in the aisles if you want to. 
But that doesn't tell me as much about you as how you spend your money does. For where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. You probably never heard it before, but money talks. Huh? Money talks. And I think we forget how true that is. Because money talks, and the story it tells reveals the truth about our walk with God. It reveals the truth about our walk with God. You know the verse, money's not evil. It's the love of money that's evil. It's the love of money that gets us into trouble. Timothy chapter 6, verse Timothy 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Wow. I can read that verse, and it says, you know, love of money is the root of all evil. So I can read and say, you know, Lord, I, I don't have a love for money. I'm not caught up in that. But then Paul says, which while some coveted after. Notice those two words, coveted after. Now, there's a Greek word for the word covet, Okay. But in this particular phrase, those two words, coveted and the word after, come from one Greek word. And it means to stretch out. It means to stretch out for something. So I read that, and I said, Lord, I don't love money. But i got to confess, sometimes I'm stretching out a long way for it. Huh. Ow, that hurts. It's my attention. Did you hear about the guy who said this? He said, if money were a woman, I wouldn't say we were in love, but boy, we are dating heavily. Yeah. I think we can understand that. And the strange thing is, in the end, at the end of the day, money can never satisfy. Ever. I think of my friend Mel Harness. He's in heaven. I've been there for over 20 years. And without without fail, anytime I'd ask Mel, brother, how are you doing? He said, I've never had less and been more happy in my life. And he wasn't complaining. He had a peace with God that passes understanding. I've never heard anyone on their deathbed say, thank God for my money. 
I'm sure this is probably just a preacher story. I read it many, many years ago. When John Rockefeller died, somebody asked how much money did he leave. And somebody yelled out all of it. All of it. You see, dying men don't give thanks for their money. Dying men give thanks for their family. They give thanks for their friends. At that point in their life, they don't have time to worry about money. Why? Because it never satisfies. My first pastor, I remember one time he said this. He said he said he never saw a U-Haul truck following a hearse. Never. Alexander the Great. When he died, he instructed those that would bury him. He said, I want my hands to be outside the shroud I'm in. He said, that way, everybody will know I didn't take anything with me. Money can never satisfy. doesn't matter how much you have. It's how you use it for the glory of God. Let's stand together. We'll pick it up next week in 1 Timothy again, verses 17 through 19, chapter 6. And we're going to look at three specific commands for you and I to consider. And it all begins in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful tonight for instruction, clear instruction from your word. And I pray, Lord, that we will not be laying up treasures here on earth, but laying up treasures in heaven where it can't be corrupted, can't be stolen, cannot be destroyed. And I pray for all of us, Lord. And we know it's not a sin to have money, but the sin is when money has us. Teach us, Lord, to be generous with what we have. And God, be grateful whatever you have allowed us to have. And Father, we'll give you the praise. And we pray it all in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And amen.